0: listening to the podcast of Antioch East Baptist Church in Magnolia, Arkansas. This is Pastor Ron Owen. We're so glad that you've joined us today. If you have any comments or inquiries, you can send those to us at aebc 123 me.com. If you would, turn in your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And today we end our series, and I, I, I hope that it has been edifying to you. I have enjoyed myself immensely studying these subjects and preaching. And uh, this is the one to end on. It's all-encompassing. It is all to the glory of God because it is all of God. And uh, so we're going to consider this uh, weighty subject this morning And I want you, if you would, to stand with me as we begin to read our text verses in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, according to His good pleasure which He purposed in Himself." that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will." That we who first trusted in Christ should be, listen, to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Maybe today, oh God, maybe today someone will respond to the gospel. In whom also having believed you were sealed Sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. Now, our folks know this. These are some of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. I think they're some of Paul's favorite verses that he ever wrote because these verses, if you read them in a Greek manuscript... Have no periods, no commas. It is a run on sentence of unstoppable praise to God for His work in our salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray, God, that you would do with this message as you wish. But Lord, we pray that you would bring souls to Christ. We pray that you would teach saints the truth. Lord, if there's anyone here today patting themselves on the back for their salvation, I pray they'd be broken down, humbled and realized that they are running as fast away from you as they could run. And you in your mercy, grace and love captured them for your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We've been talking a lot about how these solas, as far as emphasizing them, came out of the Protestant Reformation of the 15 and 1600s. But these are truths that have always been, always, before creation, these truths were correct. But the Catholic Church in the first 100 years or so when they've got a hold of society and became the state church and well the catholic church said that mary being a co-redemptrix can give you grace mary can give you grace through her merits and the saints can give you grace by sharing with you their merits some of their leftover merits and you can earn grace by your own merits through penance That's P-E-N-A-N-C-E. The sacraments, indulgences, and even your own good works. If that's true, guess what? Mary gets a hand. The saints get some praise and you get a pat on your back. And God does not get the glory alone. What does God say about it? Isaiah 42, 8 I am the Lord That is my name And my glory I will not share with another I will not give to another Nor my praise to carved images We find in Isaiah 48, 9 The Bible says For my name's sake Now listen to this Now I know this is that We live in a society That's all about us and me But I want to tell you God did not save you for you He saved you for him for my name's sake, he's talking about Israel and saving them, although they were rebellious people, I will defer my anger. And for my praise, I will restrain it from you so that I do not cut you off. Behold, I, am refined, I have refined you, but not a silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. Now listen, for my own sake, for my own sake, he says it twice, I will do it. For how should my name be profaned? And I will not give my glory to another. R.C. Sproul observed about this word glory. And uh, I, I quote him because I like his definition or how he came to define the word. The word glory is an English Slash Latin word. It's basically the same in English and Latin. That comes from the Greek word doxa. Doxa. How many of you ever sang the doxology? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We call that the doxology because it's all about the glory. Doxa of God. So the Greek word is doxa, as in doxology. And then doxa comes from the Hebrew word kabod. Meaning, now listen, weighty. Weighty. Not weighty and being overweight or something like that. We know that. It's speaking of the substance or the gravity of a person or thing. We say of a person's meaningful speech or Some really insightful comment, man, that was heavy. That was heavy. That was weighty. Or in contrast, when someone ignores someone or disregards them, we say they made light of them. We belittle someone or something we have no respect for. I would say when you yawn through the songs we just sang, you belittle the Lord. You don't see him as weighty. You don't see him as worthy. When you came in here today, what was your thoughts of God? Would you say that you came with a heart of weightiness for the things of God? Or did you think really little about the things that were about to take place? your salvation past present future is all a work of god and he alone gets all of the glory when we think about god when we think about us and how he saved us it is a weighty matter to give him the glory he deserves it he alone gets all the glory for it not a pope not a priest not a saint not a mary Not even a Baptist church, not even a deacon, not even a pastor. God alone. God alone. Well, I tell you what, Brother Ron, I witnessed that person that got saved. Yeah, and God gave you the breath to do so. God saved you to do so. God thought of you in eternity past and set you in a predestined course to be a witness to save your friend. All glory, all praise goes to God alone. Soli deo gloria. To the glory of God alone. Now let's get into our message this morning. First of all we see when we consider the glory of God. We see the expansive glory of God in his creation. The expansive glory of God in his creation. Isaiah 6.3 says... And one cried, one of the seraphim cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So what does that mean, Brother on? Well, look up. Look up. Maybe you should have gone out last night. Maybe you did go out last night and looked up and watched the lightning and, and felt the wind. And understood that in other places people were having to bob and weave for tornadoes and and hail and things like that. Greg drove through a bunch of it last night. And isn't it amazing how we go out today and the sun is shining and you can see blue skies or you could earlier. and, and, And I mean you can see far away but you feel safe. But it's when those clouds close in you feel the ominous of God's ability. And your uh, finiteness. Look up in the sky though on a beautiful evening at the stars and see and testify that the whole universe is full of the glory of God. One commentator said this universe and everything in it is mainly about, now listen to this, the glory of God. This is the great reason for all created existence including yours. If someone asks you why is there such a meaningless vastness of uninhabited galaxies and only one tiny dot of human existence, your answer should be this, uni- oh, listen to this. this universe is not intended to portray the importance of man. It is intended to give man some inkling of the grandeur of God. And he adds, and it is an understatement, My friend, and all these things, Job testifies, these are a mere whisper of his ways. Who can understand the thunder of his power? Revelation 4.11 says, You are worthy, O Lord. Why is he worthy? To receive honor and glory and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. My friend, God Almighty created this earth in six 24-hour days. Six twenty-four hour days by the word of his mouth. That's awesome. That's weighty. That's glory. Number two, the emerging glory of God in his coming. Second coming. Turn to Revelation 19. Everybody turn to Revelation 19. Revelation 19, it's very at the very end of the book. Go back a couple of chapters and you got it. Revelation 19. And follow with me. We can't read all of them. Uh, but uh, look at verse 1. After these things. Now this is what is going to happen in the future. This is future events. And it's going to happen. After these things I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia. That means praise the Lord salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. Verse 4. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen. Hallelujah! Praise the Lord. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of a mighty thunderings, saying, Hallelujah, hallelujah. For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. Look down at verse 11. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. This is Jesus, by the way, if you. Mistaken. Verse 12: His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no one knew except himself. And he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God and the armies of heaven clothed in fine linen white and clean followed him on white horses verse 15 now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron he himself treads the wine press of the fierceness of the wrath of almighty God and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written king of kings and lord Lord of lords now it's one thing in this nice little building with the good air conditioning the padded pews to read that and be excited but my friend please internalize that one day in the massive expanse of whatever it is Jesus will break through the atmosphere on a white horse some, some people try to say some ask will he really be riding a white horse Or is this symbolic? I don't know. It says that he'll be on a white horse. It doesn't say like a white horse or in the appearance of a a white horse. But if it is symbolic, you've got to always remember this when people try to say, well, that's symbolic. Remember that I have never, ever seen where the symbol was ever greater than the reality. So if this is symbolic, you can't imagine what he's actually going to be riding. Isn't it frustrating when you have an icon on your computer, that little thing, you know there's nothing in that but a bunch of electronic digits. There's nothing to it. But when you click it, you expect the program to come up. And you can do all kinds of things with the program and type, but my friend, isn't it frustrating when you hit that icon and for some reason it won't come up? (laughs) I don't want an icon I want the real thing. And when Jesus comes in the cloud, he won't be an icon. He will be the whole apparatus. Glory. Hallelujah. Glory. One thing you can know for sure, it will be eminently glorious. My last point. Don't worry. It's the longest one. No, I'm not teasing. The essential glory of God in his cross can look at the look up. I mean, just imagine you see it every night, the expanse of the stars and the moon, and we we can't even fathom what's out there. and God created it with the word of his mouth and the storms that God causes and the things that He has created, and all those things give him glory. And yet the cross is his chiefest work of glory. And so let's look at it number one or a in your outline the glory in the work of the cross. John 17, one says Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes. By the way, this is the Lord's Prayer. Now a lot of y'all think the Lord's Prayer is uh, uh, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's not the Lord's Prayer. That's the model prayer. This is Jesus' prayer. He's praying for his disciples and for us. And this is what he says. He spoke these words. Lift up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son. What hour? In the next chapter, they'll be taking him away to crucify him. He'll be humbled. He'll sweat great drops of blood. They will take his hands, God's hands, and lay them on wood and drive nails through his hands and through his feet. And they'll mock him and hit him and spit on him and and they'll put uh, put a, a crown of thorns on his head. And they'll treat him like a filthy criminal. And this is what he says. Glorify your son that your son may also glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh. That he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. If Jesus had not died. We'd all go to hell. There'd be no hope for any of us. How is the cross the greatest glory of Christ? Listen. Listen. Wouldn't he, being a conquering king or a cunning creator, be more glorious to us than a bloody, dying sacrifice? Well, let me ask you this. If you were terminally ill and had no way of survival from your disease, would you rather meet a king or a person who had a cure? Yeah. Who, would you, who would be worth more to you? Who would you appreciate more, the cure or the crown? I dare say it would be the cure. You would weep at their feet. You would kiss their feet. Yeah, you may stand at attention when the king came by, but your love would be shown to the one who saved your life. When you realize that your sin and your rebellion has separated us from God and goodness and has killed us spiritually, you will understand you don't need Jesus for religion, but for regeneration You don't need Christ's crown, but his cross. Make no mistake, he is the king. And he is a coming, conquering warrior. And that alone adds to the worship of the beauty of his glory of being the sin taker for you and me. Glory. Why should this sermon make you weep? Because Jesus died in your place. Why should you feel weightiness about these matters? Because God took away your sin. And he's, he didn't have to. But he did it through the blood of his son. Number two, or B in your outline. Glory in the work of the Trinity. And this gets to our text. So open your Bibles. Now, Greg is going to show you some things up there, but open your Bibles, turn back to our text, Ephesians chapter 1 again, and we're going to look at this in just a minute. For the Reformers, this was the argument. No priest absolves sin. No pope speaks for God. No saint can impart merit or grace. If they could, they would have something to glory in. When the Bible is very clear, to God alone goes all the glory, honor, worth, and power. In our text, you will notice over and over again. Now listen, over and over again. Don't miss it. Matter of fact, we'll have it marked up here a little bit. Uh, You will you will notice the phrase "in Him" or "in Christ" be used over and over again. Salvation is null and void without the central part of God's salvation plan. That is the sinless life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now get your Bibles. And look with me if you would at Ephesians 1 and verse 3. And get ready to have a spell in Jesus. You should anyway. Blessed, glorious, marvelous, wonderful be the God and Father. There is the first part of our the, the Trinity, God the Father. It's marked out on my outline in purple, royal purple. Of our Lord Jesus Christ. His name is in red anywhere you'll see it because he shed his blood for you and me. Who has blessed us. Any underline is is what we get from God. If it's purple, from Jesus it's red. And then I'll show you other things later. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. And he starts naming them and he starts out good just as he chose us. Just as he chose us, my friend, like it or not, there it is. The Bible uses the Greek word eklegomai for the word chose or elect in other places. It means to pick out, to choose, to pick or to choose out for oneself. That's what the word means and there it is. God the Father's part in your salvation is the purposing, planning, and calling of all things. That's what he did. Just as he chose us. Look at this. In him, in Christ. Let me tell you something. God can make plans and purposes all he wanted. If Jesus hadn't died for our sins, they wouldn't have mattered. Sin has to be paid for, doesn't it? In him before. Now listen, when did he choose us? before the foundation of the world. See, I told you. I told you these truths didn't start at in the Bible or at creation. They've always been. God has always been glorious. And he's always had us in his mind. I can't understand some of these things, but God chose us before the foundation of the world. Why did he do it? Here it is. That we should be holy and without blame before him. You know why he chose us? So that he could justify us. That's what that means there. That, that he, he did it so that we could be made holy. That we could be made blameless. You can be blameless today. You can be holy. If you're tired of your sin and straying. If you'll come to the cross today. Come to Christ. You will be made blameless and holy. Before him in love. Having predestined. Having predestined. The word predestined is the Greek word prurizo, prurizo, and it means to determine, to decide beforehand. And in the New Testament, it mean, it's talking of God's decreeing from all eternity to foreordain, to appoint beforehand. There it is, right there in the Bible. I preached on these verses one time and had a man come out and accost me verbally and he said, I don't believe in that election predestination mess. I said, are you deaf? Are you deaf? And these weren't the only verses I read that morning. I said, they're in the Bible. You got to believe something about them, amen? And you got to believe they're glorious, you gotta believe they're awesome and their weighty matters. I'm telling you, God, before the time began, looked down through time and chose us for himself. Now, listen, let's keep going. Predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ. In other words, God, before the foundation of the world, predetermined to make us his children by Jesus Christ to himself. Now, listen, according to To the good pleasure of his will. Not according to some foreseen faith. That's not taught in the Bible. But according to the good pleasure of his will. He did it because he wanted to. Verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace. Not to the praise of any man who was smart enough. Good enough, wise enough, clever enough. All praise and honor and glory goes to God in the glory of His grace, by which, by which, by His grace, He made us accepted in beloved. God made us accepted in His beloved on the basis of unmerited favor. Are you with me? Yeah. Yeah. By which, to the praise, the glory, the grace, by which He made us accepted in the beloved. Now, look, at that that's God the Father's part in your salvation, but number two... The next verse, 7, here's Christ's part in your salvation. In him we have redemption through his blood. Like I said, God the Father could have made all the plans in the world that he wanted to, but if there had not been a sacrifice for our sin, someone to give us his righteousness and take our unrighteousness, it would have been null and void. But the work of the Trinity... don't worry, God wasn't worried that it would happen. He knew it would happen exactly as He planned and purposed it. He sent His Son in time. Are you listening? Listen. In time, He sent Jesus to shed His blood, and this is what we get the forgiveness of sins according to what? The riches of His grace. Which he made, he made, he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Having made, he made known to us the mystery of his will. What will? The gospel, salvation, heaven, everything. According to his good pleasure. He did it just because he wanted to. For my namesake, for my namesake. Remember, that's what Isaiah said. According to the good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. I'm telling you, the central figure of all of everything is Christ Jesus. Now, Look at verse 11. Y'all ready? In him also we have obtained an inheritance. Hallelujah. Being predestined according to the purpose of him. Now listen. There's no stuttering here. This verse answers a lot of theological questions for me. Listen. According to the purpose of him who works how many things? All things according to what? The counsel of his own will. Not because he looked down through time and saw that you were going to do it. No, he did it on the basis of his own desires and his will. Great verse. Now verse 12. That we who first trusted in Christ, listen, should be to the praise of his glory. Not to the praise of your own glory, not to the praise of the church's glory, not to the praise of a witness's glory, not to the praise of the Pope, the church, the penance, the Mary's, the saints, not to the praise of anything, but to the praise of His glory. Alone. Verse 13 this is the Spirit's work in your salvation. In him you trusted. You also trusted. After you heard. This is in time. We believe. We trusted. After you heard the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation. In whom also having believed. You were sealed. Protected. Guaranteed. With the Holy Spirit of promise. Who is the guarantee. He's the guarantee of our inheritance. Listen. This is why we believe in once saved, always saved. Don't we? This is why we believe that salvation is eternal. You're eternally secure once you get saved. You cannot lose your salvation because you're losing it or keeping it is not dependent upon you, it's dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And if He loses you, guess who He's not? God. So, when the Holy Spirit becomes uh, not Almighty, which He is Almighty, then you might lose your salvation. But guess what? He's God. Amen. And He's never letting go. He's never letting go. Verse 13, or verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purpose of possession to the praise of His glory. There's not anywhere. There's no little little crack or somewhere where we can come in and get the glory, all glory and honor and praise goes to Jesus Christ, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Alone. In conclusion, I've heard people say things like, well, I'm glad I'm smart enough. Call Jesus the Lord of my life. I have a, a record, I love the record, I love the music, and this guy, he gives a little testimony on it, and he says, they say, I praise God that I'm smart enough one day to make Jesus the Lord of my life. And uh, I went to listen to it again, and and I took it out. <laughs> I forgot, I just took it out of there, I didn't like hearing it. I'm glad that I was wise enough, I'm glad I had enough sense to come to Jesus. My friend, if you were smart enough or wise enough or had enough sense, salvation is not by grace. It's by your smarts. It's by your intelligence. Does that mean all of us ignorant folk have to go to hell because we're not intelligent? What makes the difference between you and and someone in the same case as you that does not believe in Christ? You're smarter? You're better? Wow. You're going to heaven because of God's grace. And he's going to hell because of his own choices. But is that the language of Scripture? I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. I'm wise enough. i was clever enough. Is that the language of Scripture? Is that the testimony of the apostles and the prophets? Well, I've got some more Scriptures to go through and we will be done. Ephesians 2.8 For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourself. It is a gift of God. Now listen, not of works. Why? Lest any man should boast. If you give any boasting to your salvation, you're at least backslid. 1 Corinthians 1, 28. Look at verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren... That not many wise according to flesh, not many mighty, and not many noble. This is talking about people who have been born again, who've been saved and justified. Not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has, and he defines what called is, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are now listen verse 29 that no flesh should glory in his presence now listen to this next phrase but of him you are in Christ Jesus No stuttering there. But of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Jesus is all those things for us. That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. If you had one inkling of place in your own salvation, that would be a terrible thing for God to say. 2 Corinthians 10:17 says he who glories let him glory in the Lord same thing as 1 Corinthians one they they're both quotations from Jeremiah 9, verse 23, which says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his mind, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, says the Lord. 1 Corinthians four seven. For who makes you to differ from another? Now listen, listen. Those of you that think, well, I'm saved because I'm just better than most people or I was smarter or whatever. Now listen, look at what he says. Who made you to differ from another? What makes you better than someone else? And what do you have that you did not receive? By the way, he's talking about salvation here. Now if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? In other words, you don't have, you cannot boast because you didn't take it, God gave it to you. Romans 3:27. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of of faith. Romans 11, 36. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Truly, truly. Amen. What makes a person come to Christ? Well, there are several things that we've heard. But ultimately the glory of it goes to God alone. Yeah. You don't have to depend upon someone to confess to. You don't have to pray some, some writ prayer. You have to come to Christ on the basis of faith alone. Through the grace of God alone. That was paid for by Christ alone. Which was taught by the word of God alone. And in all that ends everything, we give God the glory for it all alone.